Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, it's Dan and this is our Tuesday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast, which means our Hey Mary Kay edition and our Football Insider subscribers came through with great questions for us. They asked a bunch of stuff about Jadavian Clowney, uh, a bunch of questions about the draft, and then some really random questions, including a really good one about Odell Beckham Jr. You can hear that one after we take our break uh, later in the podcast. So Football Insider, if you want to get involved, it's where we get our questions for this podcast every single Tuesday. If you want to get involved, go to cleveland.com slash browns. It's the blue banner at the top of the page. You get a chance to get a newsletter every single day, exclusive content there, exclusive content on cleveland.com slash browns, and, of course, our texting, which is where we get those questions. So football insider, cleveland.com slash browns, the blue banner at the top of the page. All right, enough for me. Let's get to the Hey Mary Kay podcast. Bob from Mayfield Village is going to lead us off. Bob is not a fan of the Browns signing Jadavian Clowney. So he says, hey, Mary Kay, why should the Browns waste precious cap dollars on a former first round draft pick who A, has not lived up to his potential, B, can't be relied upon to stay on the field due to injury, C, doesn't sack the quarterback, and D, hasn't been wanted by any of his three former teams. We start with this because you and I, I I was a little late to the party, but you and I have both sort of advocated for Jadavian Clowney signing here and, and him being a member of the Cleveland Browns. So I guess, how do you respond to Bob? Well, first of all, I think Jadavian Clowney at the right price would be a really good value. And I think that's the whole key. I mean, if they had to pay him $16 million this year, then no, I don't think I would be for it. And you wouldn't be for it. Right. So it's really about right player at the right price. And I think they can get him at a tremendous bargain this year coming off of the torn meniscus. They were willing to pay him a ton of money last year. He's really not that much of a different player uh, than he was heading into last year, except for the fact that he suffered a torn meniscus and underwent surgery. He's only 28 years old. This guy, this is not a 32 year old player. He's 28 years old and he pretty much, I think he just turned 28 recently. So therefore, I think he does still have plenty left in the tank as long as he's healthy. So if you can get him for whatever, $6 million or $6.5 million plus some incentives, I think that brings very good value. And even though he doesn't get to the quarterback, he's an elite run defender. He's been in the 95th percentile, according to Pro Football Focus, in every year of his career as an edge run defender. And I think that's important. 
Uh, I'll mention something I texted out, Bob probably saw this already, but to everyone else, I texted it out this morning uh, because he is, he's a very divisive player for Browns fans. And I think probably any team that's going to sign him, but when you really dig in, even though the sack numbers aren't always there, the first seven weeks last year, he was 16th among edge rushers with 22 pressures, which is the same number as Bradley Chubb and another guy the Browns consider J.J. Watt, and just three behind Carl Lawson, who made a boatload of money this offseason. Again, this is the first seven weeks when, when Clowney was healthy. His six quarterback hits were tied for eighth. His 16 hurries were tied for ninth. And he also tied for the most batted passes with three we're talking about a guy who would be your second pass rusher here your second edge rusher or part of a platoon of second edge rushers with tack mckinley and a guy who's versatile and can move inside a little bit as well those are some tremendous numbers that you're citing there dan i mean that shows you right there what an impact he can make when he's healthy it's the same thing with olivier vernon right and he is actually a step above olivier vernon but when Olivier Vernon is healthy, he makes a difference. He makes an impact. And that is somebody uh, that's going to affect the quarterback, get him off of his mark, and also uh, be an elite force against the run. I think he makes a good one-two combo with Tack in that Tack is more known for getting to the quarterback. And Jadavian Clowney is a little bit more known for uh, his run defense. So you put those guys together and uh, have a rotation there. You can, you can do some interesting things with matchups. I just think it makes a ton of sense. Okay, let's move on. Of course, there were a bunch of Jadavian Clowney questions, and this one comes from Mike in Chester, Maryland. And this is one of the things you got to think about. Hey, Mary Kate, do you think Jadavian Clowney could help the Browns contain Lamar Jackson? Mike is a Browns fan in Maryland, as I mentioned, and he considers beating the Ravens second only to a Super Bowl. So Mike wants to see Jadavian Clowney come to Cleveland and shut down Lamar Jackson. Well, I have been saying that all along, that when you have somebody that can set the edge like that, I do think it makes a difference against guys like that, against the Kyler Murrays and the Lamar Jacksons, and, and then also including all the really good running backs that they are going to face. But when you have these mobile running quarterbacks, you do need uh, to contain them somehow. And and he can wrap up. He can get to these guys. He can set that edge. So, so yes, I think it's vitally important. And one of the main reasons why I think they should sign. How do the Browns make the money work with Clowney? They have extensions coming and they've used salary cap space a lot this offseason. Is this a one-year deal or is there a multi-year deal on the table? How are they going to approach the money with Clowney here? You know, I have a feeling it would probably be a one-year deal. Uh, you know, that he might want that so that he can kind of get healthy and, and get back on his feet as well. The Browns probably would want him to have sort of that one-year contract year sort of prove it thing going with him. Uh, so I would think that's probably what they would do. You know, there, there could be a multi-year offer on the table. They made him one last year, a very lucrative multi-year offer last year. Uh, so perhaps they're going back and forth over that. Not really 100% certain about that. But the way, once again, that you can make it work is to have an incentive-laden contract where uh, you give him a nice base, you give him some good signing bonus money up front uh, to sweeten the pot a little bit, and then you add in some performance-based incentives and everyone is happy. And the buzzword of this offseason, too, is voidable years. You know, I don't think they're going long, long-term enough on this contract to maybe get into that territory, but, you know, they could all, always play around with that stuff, too. Yes, absolutely. When you throw some voidable years into a contract, you can give the player a little bit 
more money up front, a little bit more of a signing bonus and spread it out over those other voidable years, which are really years that you, they're like fake years. They're, they're years that you cancel out, right? And you do those, you put those in so that you can spread the signing bonus out over those three years or whatever. So here's why, and you mentioned this earlier, here's why a one-year deal would be beneficial to Clowney right now. You said it, he turned 28 in February, on February 14th. So if he comes to Cleveland and he's healthy and he plays well on a one-year deal, he basically gets to be a free agent again at age 29 that off season. And there's going to be a little more money available. We're going to see over the next few years, more money become available for guys. I mean, Malik Jackson kind of told us, right. When we talked to him, he basically said he was looking for a one-year deal and he wanted to go to a contender because he knew the cap situation was so difficult this year. So Clowney could certainly benefit on a one-year deal specifically this year, because he could maybe get himself, you know, once you get over 30, it's going to be harder to get those dollars, but you know, that one year being age 29, if he has a big year here on a one-year deal, he could make himself some money next off season. Yes, absolutely. And plus it's usually, you know, most of it's usually guaranteed. And, you know, that really is a nice way to, uh, to set up your family for the foreseeable future and to, uh, you know, to kind of bet on yourself a little bit. So I don't think it's a horrible way to go, uh, but he does seem like the type of person that wants to know that it's a fit. He waited all the way until September 6th last year. The situation has to be right for him. And I think that's what he's doing. He's making sure that this is a fit. Now, along the way, um, I saw Jeremy Fowler of ESPN reported today that the Ravens and the Colts are also sort of keeping him in mind. Now, the Ravens are bringing in Justin Houston from the Colts as well, a little bit of an older uh, past rusher, but still an excellent one. They're, they're kind of kicking the tires on a few guys still. And maybe, maybe that is contributing to this sort of hesitancy to quickly sign when maybe there's no rush for him. Maybe he wants to see if he drums up a little interest. And it's like when you put an offer in on a house, suddenly three other people put an offer in on a house that there was no interest in before that. That's what happens with these free agents too. Uh, when someone gets interested in signing them, then it perks up the ears of some other team. So perhaps that's going on right now. Cleveland is the only team that he vis has visited so far. So it'll be interesting to see, will he want to take any other visits or is he ready to sign here? Yeah, that was the follow-up I wanted to ask here real quick. I mean, if, if he's here on Wednesday, is that to sign a deal or is that still just kind of a getting to know him, um, getting to know you on both sides sort of situation? You know what? I suspect that there's some some health involved. Maybe he wanted to get a little healthier. Maybe the Browns wanted to make sure that he was healthy. So maybe that's part of it. Uh, maybe other teams hadn't really jumped in there yet. So I would say that if he does come back here, the chances of him signing are very, very good. I don't think he's going to waste the Browns time or his time coming back for a second visit without being really serious about signing. So if he sets foot in Cleveland, I really think he'll end up a Cleveland Brown. But I also think that there, there is that chance now uh, that other teams uh, might want to get a little bit involved and, and sort of dangle a carrot in front of him as well. This is Tom's question that I passed over earlier. If Clowney does sign with the Browns, where would you rank them in the AFC? Well, you know, I don't think it necessarily shifts the balance of power in the AFC or the AFC North or anything like that. I think the Browns were a, a playoff contender for sure 
uh, before this, and perhaps even a Super Bowl contender. I mean, you'd have to kind of consider them that uh, based on the fact that they made it down into the final eight last season and that they have improved since then. Uh, so I would have to say that it strengthens them. I don't think it necessarily changes much in terms of putting them over the top, but I think it solidifies them and, and it makes them better on defense. I don't think it necessarily means that they're going to win three more games because he's here. Yeah, I'm with you. I think it just sort of, it kind of props them up a little more, right? Like if you consider them third in the AFC or whatever, it just kind of makes them a little more rock solid in that position. And it adds another guy, especially if it's at the right price, it adds another guy that in that one game, you know, whether you're in Kansas city or in Baltimore or playing one of those teams at home in January, it's another guy that can bat a pass in the air or make that kind of that one play that could turn a game for you or help you win a playoff game. Um, so I, I think in that sense, that's what it, that's what it helps from the nine one seven area code. Hey, Mary Kay, if another team signs Clowney this week, what moves can the Browns make to improve their edge defense? Well, you know, I think at that point that they will probably just more so focus on the draft and, and really think about trying to see if they can get one of the best edge rushers at either number 26, maybe trading up to get one of them, maybe getting one in the second round, maybe even later than that, but I doubt it. So I think that's what they would probably do. There's not that many left out there. I mean, again, I, as I mentioned, Justin Houston is there. Now he's not at this point scheduled to come to Cleveland for a visit. He is supposed to be visiting the Ravens this week. So he's somebody that, you know, could be on the back burner if they don't sign Clowney. I think they will end up signing Clowney. And if they don't, I think it's all about the draft. Okay, well, speaking of draft, and by the way, credit to our, our Football Insider subscribers because they asked a bunch of Jadavian Clowney questions, but they weren't all the same. A real variety of questions here. So uh, good for all of you. A lot of questions about Clowney pertaining to the draft. So Ken Farrell in Newberry Park, California, and Steve in Suffield both kind of asked similar questions. Ken says, hey, Mary Kay, if the Browns make a deal with Clowney, will they use their first round pick on a linebacker rather than an edge rusher? And then I'll also add in Steve's question because it starts with the same premise that the Browns sign Clowney. What position will they focus on in the draft? Corner, linebacker, or best available? So we'll just sort of combine those two. Does signing Clowney make linebacker more likely or will they focus on a different position? You know, here, here's what I really think. I think the Browns are at a point with their roster building where they can add the best player at the most premium position that they can at number 26 overall. And when I say that, it means, you know, it doesn't mean that the highest graded player uh, is going to go at number 26, that it's got to be at a certain position for them. And you can have a quarterback rated really high and it's just not going to make sense for you this year to do that necessarily in the first round. So it has to make sense from a position standpoint, but I think they're at that point now where they can pick the most dominant player that they can find at that spot. And that's how you build a good football team. You don't wait until your number is called and think of what you need, because if you do that, you're not going to get the best, most dominant players. If you happen to take an amazing player at a position where you're already pretty well stocked let's say even safety or, or cornerback or something like that you're still going to get better you're going to get better and if you end up having to trade a player 
that isn't quite as good as the one you drafted, then so be it. I think they're at that point now uh, where even if they signed Jadavian Clowney to a one-year contract and they have Tack and Jadavian over there filling that Vernon spot, it doesn't preclude them from taking a defensive end there at number 26 because you have to think about the future. And just because they have Odell Beckham Jr. and Jarvis Landry doesn't mean that they're not going to draft a receiver in the first round because once again, they have to start planning for the future. They're pretty well stocked at most positions right now. And now it starts to be a little bit about building, I mean, developing that player this year and thinking about dominant players for the future. I want to read a quote. I looked this up because I thought maybe this would come up here today. Andrew Barry last year in his pre-draft availability kind of laid out how he views the draft versus free agency. And, and I think this sort of informs, informs us. Now, obviously they used the draft to address direct needs last year, but that was sort of the state of the roster. But he said, uh, the draft is more about maximizing the amount of talent and the long-term talent on your team, as opposed to filling needs. Very few rookies come in and hit the ground running and play at a pro bowl caliber level in their first year. I think that is the wrong focus. So I, I think ideally they want to view the draft. Now, obviously you take a guy in the first round or the second round, you're going to view that guy as a guy that can contribute quickly. But I do think they view the draft as like, if you have needs to fill, you can spend a little money. And then the draft is really, let's, let's make that roster as complete as possible and add that young talent. That's ultimately eventually going to be uh, your, your star guys. You mentioned receivers. So let's move on to Jason in Atlanta's question it says, Hey, Mary Kay, I'm becoming really enamored with the wide receiver class in the draft. Would love to hear your thoughts on cornerback in the first and wide receiver in the second with even a possibility of moving up. He has a feeling the front office is happier with the edge rushers than maybe the fans. And they feel good about adding Clowney or one of the other free agents after the draft to finish out the position for this year. Is Jason crazy? No, I, I like the strategy. I like the philosophy. I think those are premium positions. And that's really what you want to do with your first couple of picks in the draft, if you can, is get guys that are, that are going to make an enormous difference on your football team and be starters as soon as they can be and ultimately be Pro Bowl players. That's what you want to do. You want to be picking Pro Bowl caliber players or whatever, all Pro caliber players with your first couple of picks if you possibly can. That's what you want to do. That is how you have sustained success by building a team full of really good, amazing football players. And you need great cornerbacks. And some people even believe that the cornerback position is more important than the edge rush position. I'm still not quite there yet. I sort of have them. I think I still have edge rusher in my mind a little bit higher or maybe equal, but those are, those are your, you know, some of your key positions, you know, quarterback, edge rusher, tackle, cornerback receiver. So I, I would be all for, because they are you know, pretty well uh, set at some of those positions. I would be all for a receiver, even in the first round, a cornerback in the first round or either of those spots in the second round. Yeah. I keep thinking corner in the first round. If, if somebody had to make me pick a position, mm -hmm. I, I think maybe that's the way I would go, but I don't know. Zaven Collins is still a really enticing prospect as a, a linebacker slash edge rusher. Uh, so yeah, that, that's sort of, it's going to be really interesting. And a lot of it's going to depend on how the board falls in, in front of them too. They're, they're going to have to be patient and, and wait for things to play out. Okay, let's go to Scott uh, in LA. He says, hey, Mary Kay, with what many perceive to be a significantly upgraded roster, how does one balance leveraging the upcoming draft to develop depth versus maximizing talent? In other words, are the Browns more likely to trade multiple picks 
for higher end talent, particularly in the narrow window when Baker Mayfield is still on his rookie contract. So in other words, I guess, would the Browns be willing to give up some high picks in the future to get an established player, sort of LA Rams style? You know, the Rams have just thrown first round picks to get stars like crazy. I tend to think that's not how this front office views things, but is there a chance they could do that in the next couple of years? They, they could. I mean, they could. I think Andrew Barry is very aggressive. This is a very, we know this, a very, very smart front office. So the, they'll, they'll make smart trades. I don't think they want to necessarily give up really high picks uh, for other players. I think they would rather try to find the, the more bargain type players. But I mean, you know, you could do worse than trading for DeAndre Hopkins, right? I mean, you could you could do worse than than doing something like that. I mean, if it's a player like that that you think can get you over the top into the Super Bowl, I would be all for giving up a first round pick. I mean, sometimes it's hard to nail those first round picks. And if you can get something in return that's going to be around on your football team for a while and and you have to give up that kind of a pick for that player, then I would be all for that. And I think they're smart enough to do it right. So yeah, ideally they want to keep those first round picks and draft their own pro bowl players. I don't think they would hesitate to, uh, to make the right deal for, for one. Okay. Tyson from Texas has two questions. I'm going to ask these in the reverse order that he sent them. Uh, His second question. Hey, Mary Kay, he sees both of our line signings as flyers. So he's talking about McKinley and Clowney and would still uh, see targeting a pass rusher at 26 unless a player at cornerback or wide receiver slides. We sort of touched on this a little bit, but I mean, Clowney doesn't prevent them from taking one of these top edge rushers if they fall down to 26. No, I don't think so at all. Because once again, I think that they would probably sign Jadavian Clowney to the one-year contract. So then you'd have Tack and Jadavian both on those one-year prove-it deals. And a year goes really fast before you know it. All of a sudden you're finding yourself in 2022 and you have developed a young edge rusher to be able to step in and make some noise next year. Now, chances are, if you get a first round edge rusher, he will be able to step in right away and either start or or play a significant amount of snaps for you. But it's also a good way uh, to be really ready to hit the ground running next year if you take one at 26. Yeah, just it seems to me like if you draft a guy and he comes in and wins that job, okay, fine. You know, I mean, you're not paying tack a bunch of money. You're probably not going to be paying Clowney a bunch of money. Right. So if that guy, if you draft a guy and he ends up being better, so be it. That's okay. That's not a bad thing. Uh, His second question. uh, Hey, Mary Kay, I really feel like this team with Andrew Barry and Kevin Stefanski will lead the Browns to the promised land. Is Tyson drinking the Kool-Aid or do you think these guys are the right duo? Oh, I definitely think these guys are the right duo. There is no question in my mind about that. Uh, You know, so often when the Browns would put together a front office and a coaching staff, and and I, for, for every single year up until last year, I would always tell somebody in the organization, I've said this on this pod before, I would talk to someone in the organization and say, it's not gonna work. This is not going to work. You know, Sashi Brown and Hugh Jackson are not going to work. John Dorsey and Paul D. Podesta and Hugh Jackson aren't going to work. I mean, it just, it was just so obvious all the way through uh, that things just were not aligned properly. 
And when you don't have that, that's when you make mistakes in the draft uh, and you do things that, uh, that just are not gonna, going to serve you well going forward. These guys are all in lockstep. They're working together. Uh, there is synergy in the organization. It's positive. I get great reviews when I talk to agents about the job that these guys are doing. Players want to come here. And then Kevin and his staff, which I think it's a great staff, uh, are doing a tremendous job of coaching up these players. By the same token, I think Andrew Barry and, and his guys are stocking the team with the kind of guys that Kevin Stefanski needs, that Joe Woods needs, right? I mean, they know what these coaches need and want, so they're just all working together. And it seems like there's a good, there's a really good vibe in the building. You know, it just seems like every, because of that alignment, and it really seems like there's a great vibe in the building and also they want to develop these coaches. Like there's real opportunities for these young coaches to come in and, and get better and move on to their next opportunities, which is a good thing. That's what you want. You want to be able to turn your organization into a place that develops young coaches and can push them to bigger opportunities because that's how you get better. You have great assistant coaches and you, you kind of trust those guys. And it seems like there's a lot of, it, it's a very open organization as far as ideas are concerned and they're open to all ideas and they consider them all. And that, that's, I think that's the front office and the coaching staff. Yeah. And you know what it's, it's, and you know a lot about this right now, Dan, cause I know you're working on a, on a story, but it's a really smart coaching staff. I mean, these are really smart, positive people. Like you meant, you mentioned the vibe in the organization. It really does permeate the whole building. And then it trickles down to the players. It's just there. The players and the coaches are, are all smart, tough, and accountable, right? I mean, it's not, it's not just the players that they're drafting. It's the coaches that they're adding to the team. And it reminds me in so many ways of the Bill Belichick staff of the early 1990s. I mean, just guys that you just knew were going to go on to be successful. I feel that way about this staff. There's just something very special about it. Yeah. And it's, I mean, like you've got situations where like Paul D. Podesta is texting quality control coaches at the start of the pandemic to see how they're doing and check in on them. So I think the organization is very much in, in a good place right now, but you also got to win, right? You, you've got to win. That's life in the NFL. All right. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we've got an Odell Beckham Jr. Question. And back on the orange and Brown talk podcast, the Hey Mary Kay edition, Dan lobby and Mary Kay Cabot. Ken from Westchester, Ohio, Mary Kay. He's got a doozy. What kind of trade offer would it take for you to part with Odell Beckham Jr.? You know what? I, I'll tell you what. I, I wouldn't let him go for anything less than a first-round pick. I think he is a first-round talent. I think that's what you should get from him, or you don't let him out the door. Uh, you, you would have to get something that is going to knock your socks off. I mean, when you send DeAndre Hopkins to the Cardinals, or when you, when you send a Stephon Diggs uh, to the Bills, those players – really are the difference makers, right? I mean, th those guys can make or break you. And I think that's the kind of player that Odell Beckham Jr. is. And I would rather keep him right here on this football team and have him be the guy for you that gets you to the promised land than give him up to someone else for less than a first round pick. So I'm not budging for less than a one. I think I'm with you. And I, I mean, I don't know if they'll get, if they could get a one for him, especially because a lot of the teams... I mean, one team in particular that I think would maybe give you a one form doesn't have any ones to give you. And that's the LA Rams who we mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. It would have to be a contender. It would have to be a team willing to part with first round picks. 
I don't know. I don't know how many teams are out there like that. And at that point it becomes, okay, you're going to give up Odell Beckham for an extra second. I mean, why not just keep him around and see what you can see what he does. And if you need to, you can trade him during the season. If it, if it just is abundantly clear that it's not working, that the momentum that happened last year, it, it didn't translate. Maybe he's not right. Maybe him and Baker just can't get on the same page, but I, I just think you have time. And I, I wouldn't be in a rush. I, I'm kind of with you right now. I wouldn't take anything less than a first. If it's not working in October, maybe that changes. Absolutely. 100%. They are not rushed to do this at all. He seems like he's really excited to come back here. We know that he really likes Kevin Stefanski. We know that Kevin Stefanski likes him. Uh, the only thing that I think that there has been a little bit of a question mark about is, you know, how do Baker and Odell function on the field together? And I have every reason to believe that they'll be fine together. I think uh, now everybody knows how to make that work. And I think the timing was an issue because the scheme wasn't right when they were together under Freddie, you know, everything was off. And that in the beginning of this year, Baker hadn't hit his stride yet. He just did not have his mojo down at all. And he and he and Odell were still kind of off. Uh, but I don't think that will be an issue this year. I think they will be on the same page way more than they have been in the past. And I think that that Odell Beckham Jr. will flourish uh, with the new and improved Baker Mayfield. Okay, got a few more here. Uh, this is Rick Goodright from Worcester. Do you foresee a problem with the Browns being able to afford Baker Mayfield, Denzel Ward, Nick Chubb, and Wyatt Teller without cutting other assets? Well, they're, they're going to have to be very creative, and, and timing is also an issue. The cap is going to be going up to the point where it's not going to be hard going forward to afford most of the guys that you want to keep. It's just this year was a really tough offseason to have to be able to do that. But if you take your time on a few things uh, and you play it right, which these brilliant uh, guys from, from Harvard know how to do, I think you can make it work. I think you can find a way to make it work. Now, the Nick Chubb deal, I've been saying this many, many times. I think you make an offer that, uh, that includes some incentives so that you're not uh, you know, so that you're protecting the club and paying the player. I think there's a win-win there somehow. Uh, Wyatt Teller, I mean, he, he's a tough one because he is going into the last year of the contract, as is, as is Nick Chubb. You know, you don't have that fifth-year option like you do for Baker and Denzel where you can buy yourself a little bit of time. You kind of have to figure out what you want to do there. Then after this year, you're going to have a little bit of wiggle room with what you want to do with Odell and Jarvis. You know, you can figure out, do we want to restructure them? Do they want to stay here? Do we want to keep them? They're still going to be due a combined more than $31 million next year as they're turning 30 in 2022. So you'll have some wiggle room there. The Baker Mayfield contract, I've been saying this over and over. I would wait. I would wait and do it after this season uh, so that you are doing it in a year when the cap is not strained and when he can kind of bet on himself as well and maybe try to get up into the $40 million range. So I also think there is uh, wisdom in just taking your time a little bit with that one. Um, Denzel, I think you can go ahead and do Denzel this offseason if you want to, because he's not going to break the bank the way that Baker will. Uh, from the 440 area code, speaking of Baker. Hey, Mary Kay, how important was Case Keenum to Baker's development last year and how much going into this year? Oh, I think he was great for Baker's development last year. Those two guys got really, really close. I got an opportunity to talk to Case 
about Baker towards the end of the season. And he just raved about him. I mean, he just thinks uh, that Baker, that the sky is the absolute limit and he cannot wait to see him in this offense next year in his second year in the new offense. And you're talking about a guy that wishes he were out there playing and he just could not say enough good things about Baker. I think he was great for him in terms of mentorship, friendship, helping him learn the new scheme. I think he, he went a long way towards uh, Baker's development as a player and as a professional. And I, I, I just think it was just a great signing for the Browns. Okay. From the, from Jim and Canfield, th- this is a salary cap question and rollover cap, but Jim and Canfield wants to know, is it equivalent from a next year's salary cap perspective to fill any remaining balances here with one-year contracts, or does it create more space next year by rolling over that balance and not using it this year? So he says, sorry for that phrasing, but I think what he's basically asking is, is it more valuable to this team to maybe not hand out a one-year contract and roll over some of that money to next year's cap, or is it just better to have the player? I think it's better to have the player. I think that they are so judicious with their cap uh, and that there are, are so many different kinds of things they can do if they need to. I mean, if they needed to find some extra millions laying around, they can find them. They can do that. You know what I mean? There's a, there, there are restructurings that you could do if you had to. I don't see that they need to do any of those things. But I think that uh, in terms of like signing a Jadavian Clowney, I think it would be more important to have the player than to have the cap space. So I'm saying player. I'm with you. This, I mean, this team's trying to win the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. They're not trying to win salary cap championships anymore. They're trying to win real ones. And we've talked about comp picks too. I think that is the thing that as we go forward, and you've been on this going back to last offseason, that's the thing going forward where the Browns will try and find that value is to add those, you know, with these one-year deals, if you can turn those into comp picks. It, just, it's, it almost sort of doubles their value because you get the player and then you can, can turn that into a, you know, a mid-round draft pick at some point. This is from Dave Barnes, who is a proud member of the Central Virginia Browns backers in Richmond. Hey, Mary Kay. I'm wondering if you've heard anything about fans in the stands come this fall. Looking forward to seeing a full dog pound again. I think Roger Goodell was pretty optimistic about it last we heard from him, but obviously we're probably not going to know until the summer, probably. But I think we're trending in, in the right direction here with getting fans in the stands. Well, you're right. Roger Goodell is very optimistic about it and did say last week that they expect full stadiums in 2021. Uh, Of course, some of that is going to be determined by how each state handles their situation. So hopefully Roger Goodell will be right and the stadiums will be full and everybody will be healthy and happy. And we can look out again, Dan, and there will everybody be in a sea of orange and brown, cheering the Browns onto the playoffs again this year. Yeah, I will say I was probably much more focused this year in those home games than I am when the, the stadium's full, because I'm always looking, I'm always distracted by what fans right in front of us are doing. But I, I did miss having the fans there. I thought it was weird driving in. I always go right by the Muni lot and it was empty every single week. And then the road games too, I mean, we were both at that Giants game. It was just, there was nobody in the stands for that one. The the Steelers playoff game was empty except for like friends and family of of the players. And it's just, it's not as fun of an experience when when there aren't fans in the stands. And again, I think the NFL is going to benefit from the calendar here because the NBA is probably going to continue to increase attendance going into the playoffs. Baseball is probably going to continue to increase attendance going into the summer. 
And so it's just going to be more normal, I think, when the NFL says, and, and like you said, it's going to be up to the cities, not necessarily the league, but it's just going to feel more normal by the time it, it's the NFL's turn to have 60 or 70,000 people in the stands because other sports will have sort of slowly opened it up for them. Yes, absolutely. 100%. And I think that was my biggest regret last season was, you know, finally the Browns are winning, right? I mean, you're there in the freezing cold in December and, you know, there's snow and hail flying around and normally you'd look out and you'd see 68,000 people out there uh, still cheering for the Browns under those conditions. And, uh, and that was the, the saddest part of, of it that finally they made it to the playoffs and they did not have all of their fans there for them. So hopefully everybody will be back this year cheering them on. And I think some fans would have made a difference in that Monday night game. Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe Trace McSorley doesn't convert that. What was it? A fourth down. Maybe he doesn't convert that. If there's 70,000 people there screaming at him and just that environment alone for that game, it was already the game of the year. If, if there could have been 70,000 people in that stands, it would have been absolutely nuts. On, oh on my gosh. I know. Yeah. So that, that'll be exciting. That'll be exciting to get the fans back again. Like you said, not just, for the home games, but for the road games, they were so weird. The Jets game too, right? It wasn't just a, I mean, there were back-to-back games when we were in New York with nobody there and it, it was just bizarre. Yeah. And, and then that, that Pittsburgh playoff game, I would have loved to have been in that stadium when, when things were falling apart for the Steelers, hearing how those fans reacted and, and just, it would have been, it would have been an experience. Okay. Uh, our football insiders came through for us. If you want to check out football insider to get your questions involved in the Hey Mary Kay podcast each week, go to cleveland.com slash Browns. It's the blue banner at the top of the page every Tuesday. Like I said, it's the Hey Mary Kay podcast. Every Friday we have a round table every Thursday. It's got to watch the tape five days a week coming your way. So make sure you're subscribed to this feed wherever you get your podcast uh, for Mary Kay. I'm Dan. Thanks for listening, everybody. Hey Mary Kay.